0: This is the ninth episode of the Disobedient Buildings podcast, an hrc funded project at the University of Oxford. Our focus is on the everyday lives of people living in ageing blocks of flat in three European countries, the UK, Romania and Norway. My name is Inge Daniels and in this episode I will be joined by Anna Andersson and Gabriela Niculescu to further explore some of the key issues discussed in season one. In episode five, Stefan Genshulescu questions the usefulness of the notion of social housing in Romania. And in this episode, we all three will zoom in on the characteristics of housing in London, Bucharest and Oslo.
1: The first thing that uh, somebody has to to get when you speak about uh, housing in socialist countries is that it's not social housing. I think that is... That should be stated uh, in a very powerful way because social housing is so- housing, for housing that is subsidized by the government for uh, certain social categories and communities which have problems having their own home. Of course that was also the case in this socialist housing with some of these blocks, but the main idea is that it was housing for everybody. One of the things that come up in in fieldwork and that I think almost everyone mentions is the fact that in Norway, a large portion of people own their homes and it's just generally encouraged, I think, and to own rather than rent. And, you know, there are different ownership models um, where you could as an individual own a, a flat in a, in a block or in a building. Or there are ways when you don't own the flat, but you own like the right, uh, let's say a share in the co-op, so the right to, to, to live in the flat. And these like different ownership models, you know, they affect how much freedom you have as an individual, if you can sublet it or if you can uh, have uh, certain colors uh, on on your balcony or not. It also affects the responsibilities people have over the common areas. We also have social housing in, in Norway and it is run by the municipality. But this is a temporary solution and it is for those who need it the most. So the idea is that it, it, it is not permanent. It is something that should, let's say, get you on your feet and then ideally get you out into uh, the housing market uh, to get people to, to own their flats. I mean one of the things that that's changed and again it's been brought up by so many participants is the fact that the Norwegian housing market used to be regulated especially post war you had housing shortage a shortage of materials so it was very regulated what you could do there was even a, a ban on bath tubs <laughs> or, or so you couldn't uh, make new bathtubs for a while after the war but then these Things, they did change. And the event, I mean, there's definitely a lot of different uh, political decisions that's led to where we are today. But the one event most people refer to is uh, in 1984, the right uh, government led by the prime minister, Kåre Villok, made changes that deregulated the market. And in consequence, the housing prices then has been rising ever since and what happens then is that for the people who already are in the housing market they own their flats uh, it's it's great because then when they sell their flat they get a lot of money back and they can trade up to you know larger flats or, or move to larger houses, but it's very difficult for people to get into the market. You need to have, in order to get the mortgage, uh, you need to have a, a steady job, but you also need uh, 15% of what you want to lend. You need cash upfront. Uh, so that means that if you don't have those savings, uh, then you can't you can't get a mortgage and you can't buy a flat. And I mean, one of the communities I've been in touch with during this work has been Muslim communities living in this, this borough. And uh, one of the issues there is that, according to religion, you shouldn't take up uh, mortgages with, with interests. And then that makes people not take up mortgages, even if they have a great job, steady job. They do have the savings, but they, they don't want to take up the the interests. And to solve that problem could be, you know, these like rent to buy schemes and, and other funding models than what we have in Norway today. But what happens is that people, they fall outside of of the housing market and they rent and they have to move frequently. And Elsa Abramsen from Makers Hub in episode four, she talks about the fact that in the borough that I'm looking at, child poverty is rising And it's very troubling. You do see that the rich get richer and, and the less privileged, they stay less privileged. Uh, and it goes on for generations. And I think should be done something about that. And one of the possibilities also that's come up in fieldwork that you know people are talking about, participants are talking about this, that if you have higher taxations, let's say on your second home, that would prevent individuals to buy a second home as a mere investment, and with less demand, you would then have maybe lower housing prices.
2: In Romania, I think the the key concept is uh, like in the other sides of of course uh, property, but uh, in Romania it has a different meaning because immediately after the Second World War in the 1950s, uh, when the socialist regime came to power, private property was nationalized. So what happened is that many houses in the city were uh, taken by the state and previous owners would pay rent to live in only one room, maximum two of their previous Property. The state managed to build blocks in the 60s, and um, these uh, new blocks uh, were really seen by everybody with um, good eyes because uh, they had um, good conditions, running water. Uh, everybody wanted to move, uh, move there, and uh, the renting prices were quite small. So starting with the 70s, uh, the new blocks of flats that were built in the city could be in the property of individual owners. When the socialist regime collapsed in the 1990s, it was a mix of uh, privately owned flats and rented flats. But in the 1990s, all the rented flats or most of the rented flats have been privatized. I mean, people could buy them for very small prices, which which for nothing, as they said. And um, this almost full privatization of the housing uh, stock um, created something very, very interesting in the present. Uh, It's a lot of tension put, put on the housing stock especially in the context in which in 2000, a law called the Restitution Retrocedation Law made in a way wanted to repair what the socialist regime did in the 1950s. So this law uh, gave the right of the pre-socialist owners or those who inherited these properties to evacuate those that were let by the state to rent. These people evacuated from these houses have nowhere to go because the state has no flats to give. An important percentage of the population, uh, definitely more than 5 percent, um, people talk about 10 or even 15, are, are people who are pushed from the cities. I mean, Bucharest has nothing to give them um, Ilinca Pont Constantinescu in episode six talks about the fact that in Romania, there is not enough consideration given to, to social housing. And this is also in this context in which, you know, property was taken from individuals, was given to the state and now back it is given to individuals in very complicated ways. And um, the communist history has huge impacts on whatever happens to people. I do research also with um, two participants who live in social housing and one participant who is on this waiting list for eight years in the conditions in which she she has um, she is as a disabled uh, mother of one and her own child um, who is three years old, she's also disabled. And she didn't manage to obtain a flat because she she cannot prove that she was evacuated from one of these flats that were given by the socialist state to to her grandmother or something. It's a a complicated story.
0: So in the UK, uh, this neoliberal uh, turn also had a huge impact on the provisioning of public or council housing. It was one of the four cornerstones of the post-war welfare state. Public or council housing uh, refers to rented homes that are built, managed, and maintained by local municipal authorities. Public housing, as such, can be traced back to the late 1800s or the early 1900s, but uh, their heyday actually was after World War II when most of the country was in ruins and the Labour government committed to these uh, large, uh, building these large council estates across the country. It's interesting to note uh, as a statistic that by 1979, over 30% or one third of the UK housing stock was actually public housing for rent. But then since the 1980s, so just right after this, uh, with this kind of preference for neoliberalism or neoliberal thinking, subsequent governments have been promoting home ownership, which seems to be a theme uh, throughout our study. And this uh, most uh, famously was, of course, introduced, if you want, by Margaret Thatcher, who um, promoted this right-to-buy scheme, which means that tenants in council housing were given the opportunity to buy their own flats. And even today, uh, where we have a huge housing crisis here in London, most commentators really link this dwindling public housing stock with uh, her policy, the right-to-buy scheme. But uh, these kind of policies have continued over time. And more recently, we had to help to buy scheme for young people to help them onto the property ladder. On the other side, or the flip side, renting is discouraged as tenants have very few legal protections and they are given hardly any support. Of course, in episode five, uh, Jackie Peacock, who herself is uh, uh, kind of in charge of an organization who helps Uh, people uh, who rent in London, she highlights the dire situation in much detail, documents if you want her fight for fairer housing uh, on the ground. And I thought it would be interesting to kind of give some more detail of how this uh, works out, where I did my fieldwork in uh, central London, where I looked at five blocks or estates, that were built between the 1950s and the 1980s. They were conceived, all of these flats I, I looked at, were conceived as council of public housing, although one of the blocks was run by a housing association. So of my participants who lived in these five blocks, one-third uh, is renting and two-thirds is owning, which again reflects the general population approximate, I think. So some of those participants who were renting were private renters, um, they were um, often renting or from uh, owners who sublet their flats. But still, quite a large majority of people in the blocks are social tenants. So their rents are subsidized, but they also might claim other benefits uh, that are means tested. Their landlord is the council. And landlord is a very interesting term. <laughs> it's used for people who rent out property that they own. And in episode two, uh, Danny Dorling again traces this uh, use of the term to actually feudal times, which is, uh, I think, fascinating, where he says that it was the lord of the manor who was given land, land by the king or the queen to build homes for workers on. So it's interesting that this term has uh, persisted until today and it reveals quite a lot about the uh, class structure in the UK, I think. But then, as I said, two thirds of the participants were owning their own flats and these people are called leaseholders. The term refers to the fact that they own the flat for the period or the term of the lease agreement, which in the best case scenario is between 99 and 125 years. So the owner is the leaseholder, but the person who actually owns the land the block is built on is called the freeholder. And in most cases, uh, in my field work, this was the council. So the people who own the flats pay an annual ground rent and they pay service charges, which can be very expensive. But also there are many limitations to changes they can make. For example, uh, in uh, quite a few of the blocks, the flooring has to be carpet. It cannot be wooden flooring or concrete. And of course, uh, more recent tenants uh, would like to have the latest fashion in flooring. And it's a kind of secret thing they do, so the landlord uh, doesn't know this is going on. Uh, Also, things like pets, uh, like cats and dogs, are not allowed in many of the properties. And again, this is contentious because, particularly during the lockdown, quite many uh, people were saying that uh, having these animals around uh, illegally, if you want, really uh, helped them during times of isolation and loneliness. Thank you for listening to our Disobedient Buildings podcast, edited by Anna Anderson and produced by Jack Soper. If you want to hear more, go to our website at www.disobedientbuildings.com or search for a podcast where you normally find your podcasts. In the final episode, the Disobedient Buildings team will discuss the impact of the pandemic on housing and well-being in the UK, Normania and Norway.